You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. You might not know this, dear Baltimorean, but our humble podcast was actually founded on a very, very lofty dream. Uh, some decades. Or mm, what do you think, Sam? Like a decade or so ago, I like, Sam and I were sitting in a bar late at night. I like some. Let's go some decades because it 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 happened in two different decades, even though <laughs> it has only been about ten years. <laughs> so there we were, sitting in this bar, dreaming of some version of a post Angelo's world. Um, of course, in those halcyon days, it was Angelo's the senior. But we planned at that moment to start a podcast. And then we were going to, uh, this was very early in the podcast world, seamlessly grow its audience from a few hundred to a few hundred million or so people, and then get everyone in the audience to chip in five bucks, not to support the podcast, but to purchase the Baltimore Orioles and convert them to a nonprofit serving the city of Baltimore. We had an ownership scheme. We had a plan to make Cal Ripken the first head of baseball operations with a four-year term to be voted on by the millions of co-owners. It was great. So... Even though this podcast's listenership has soared over the years, occasionally into the triple digits, um, we have fallen short of our goal of raising a billion dollars and buying the Orioles. But the dream lives on. However, in the personages of Andy Ellis and Bill Marker, two veteran campaigners who are actually you know, trying to do something about this rather than talk about it on a podcast, but they are talking about it on our podcast, Andy and Bill joining us now to break down the plan. Could the city of Baltimore seize control of the Orioles and run the team in a way that isn't holding the fans over a molten pit of bubbling Angelos ego. I mean, sorry, in a way that actually benefits Baltimore and the community. Andy, Bill, welcome to Baltimoreans. Good to yes, see y'all. That's it. Thank you for talking to us. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I'm excited that you all started this podcast for that purpose, and I'm excited to talk to you all about it today. Uh, and also talk some Orioles baseball tomorrow and Sunday are going to be exciting. Let's start there. That's a much more pleasant plan. Um, I'll start with you, Andy, on a scale of one to terrified. Um, how confident are you about this Rangers ma- matchup? Where are you? I'm super, I, I'm I'm holding both. I'm really confident and I'm really terrified. <laughs> uh, the Rangers have some really big bats, and I think that we saw that in the Tampa Bay series, but I've also watched a lot of Orioles baseball this year, and every time I've started to be worried, They've turned it around, and they won 101 games. So I, I'm going into the weekend uh, full of excitement. Uh, but, you know, I've been an Orioles fan for a while, so I, I have my concerns, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Bill, how amazing has this season been? It's, it's, it's been amazing, um, quite something. But my perspective is uh, somebody raised a Senators fan, raised a Redskins fan in the, <laughs> in the 50s and 60s, a University of Maryland fan back then, and even my high school, named after the greatest right-handed pitcher in the American League, Walter Johnson, did not have success. So being in postseason and being there, <laughs> it, it's, that's to be appreciated. That's whatever. May they go far. But the fact that it wasn't just pack up on Sunday and go home, yeah. wow, that's, uh, you know, the flag is out. May it stay out much of the month, and maybe until November. Can I to God's ears? Can I offer something that uh, I I think will make all of us? Because uh, it sounds like you know we're all processing this in in similar ways. 
I was reading this week, and, and maybe you guys read this too. There was an article in The Athletic about, it wasn't even directly about the advancement of the Orioles' um, infrastructure, but it did make passing reference to the fact, we know that ever since Sig Maydahl arrived uh, alongside Mike Elias, there has been this massive uptick in the technologicalization of the organization zation 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 and (laughs) there is a program called i forget what it's called it's it's called like um swing report or something but every player on the team gets a text message after the game that gives them a readout of the quality of their swings in each at bat. So it says, you know, on 2-2, you swung at this slider. Please don't do that again. <laughs> you know, like wow. You you yeah. look you you swung at a fastball on 3-1 and you hit it with this exit velocity velocity with this outcome. That was a good idea. Do more of that. And that's just like I I had no idea that was happening. I think it's crazy that you you can even do that. But that is the level of granularity at which this regime is working. So it was just one of those little moments to me that I think, Andy, to your point about how at at every moment where it has felt like the Orioles of old and they're starting to fall into their bad habits and go off the rails, it was just this little reminder that in a way that I don't think there was previously, there are these like big tech backstops <laughs> in place. <laughs> big brother is watching. Yeah. Which like there's an eye in the sky, which in the past we may have thought of as Providence. And now we can perhaps think of as Sigma <laughs> and his computer. Um, <laughs> but there are, there are ways in which this team is better equipped to adjust to adversity than, huh. than it may have been previously. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I think there was a point that I had at the season where I went from, Ah, uh, they've got a lead. They're gonna blow it. To ah, uh, they're behind yeah. and they're gonna come back. And 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 that yeah, was, you know, yeah. we used to call it Orioles magic, and we can still call it magic, and just know that Sid's behind the curtain. But <laughs> but watching that happen this season, I really got to a point where, um, you know, I I watched a lot of games last season too, and last season was exciting uh, because it showed the potential. But it also it also showed where they were. Uh, it, it had reminders of, of 2021 last season. Uh, and this season, almost all those times that I was sure they were going to lose a game, th- at some point they that flipped and it started to be, I know they're going to come back. And they didn't come back all the time. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the second half of the season, they came back. You know, and yeah. there were a few disappointing games in there, and, and I probably went to thirty games this year. So, um, you know, I got to see some disappointing ones. I, I was there the night the City Connects unveiled, and they got walloped. And <laughs> oh, that was a rough one. Yeah, it was a, a tough <laughs> night against these. I think against the Rangers. Um, and yeah, Grayson's first start. If yeah, memory serves. It, and you know, I got, I got. No, it wasn't his first start. I think, but it was like the second one because we got. There was yeah, there was yeah. a night where I went to and I got like gas him up t-shirts or something for his debut. Yeah, and I yeah. I was really excited to wear that until I got my City Connect and then I went to my to that City Connect Friday night game and it was like ooh this this is rough. <laughs> but the second half of the season didn't feel like that. The second half of the season felt like an entirely different team, and maybe it's because of that accumulated knowledge that the players had of getting that analytics report each time. Um, 
to know it's not it, it takes the guesswork out of it and they know swing at this pitch and don't swing at that one and it, you know i think if you listen to i listen to games because i don't have cable and thanks thanks to uh thanks to the Masson deal i can't watch it even if i have the major league baseball app that i pay for um blessings yeah. <laughs> but but listening they started working deeper into those counts they started making sure that they were making contact and and you know it's some of it is analytics some of it is having a catcher as your leader some of it is um that they just played and they were just playing really well together the second half and sure there's disappointing nights but that's baseball right like you play 161 games yeah. there's going to be night for your off for the most part, July forward, they weren't off this year. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm going on Sunday, uh, and I'm looking forward to oh, the nice. to the stadium being as loud as it was in the last playoff series and as loud as it was when they, when that Grand Slam got hit in Philadelphia the other night. Seeing that crowd shot, yeah. I was like, I want to be part of that on Sunday. So, Yeah. I, I think the, the maybe the biggest emotional trick that the Orioles pulled this year uh, we we talked a lot, Sam and I, about how worried we were that the that the big thing that would happen with Bautista going down is that we would lose that aura of like it's all going to work out, and there's this sort of invincibility feeling of just having to get to the ninth inning and he's there. And I think that the amazing thing is that like even without him, I still have that feeling you're talking about. I still have this feeling that they're going to rally, which is very un Orioles and makes me kind of confused about the team that I'm rooting for. It's like, what, what, where is this confidence coming from? This feels strange, beautiful, but strange. Well, and in, in this same vein, like, you know, all season long in the, in the mainstream baseball press, there was this whole thing like, yeah, yeah, sure. The Orioles are fun, but where's the pitching? Like, where's the rotation? Like they, this rotation is just not built for the long term, And almost as though the Orioles knew that also, (laughs) (laughs) they seem to have very carefully actually managed the workload of the starting pitchers over the course of the season put each of them on what seemed to be very individualized throwing programs that if you look at the long arc of the season, almost all of them, as the season went on, went deeper into games, started to master their repertoires more, and are pitching at their absolute best at this, the most critical point in the season, rather than earlier in the season when it didn't matter as much. It's almost like they are aware of their true skill level and optimizing their methods to uh, maximize outcomes. Like Very strange. This feeling, what is it? (laughs) Uh, The the, the analytical details and leading to success and stuff, this week, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on, I think it was Colbert, and saying AI is good, don't be afraid of it. And I guess it, so maybe it's time to stop being scared of AI. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. I won't be around that long. But I'm, I'm hearing the same strain. You know, <laughs> I, work in, I work in analytics, and I, I build things and help build things that send text alerts to people who are trying to sell stuff that, you know, tell them how well they did and et cetera. And I think that the, the thing that the Orioles do that we do is that they don't let the data make the decisions. They let the data inform mm. the decisions. Uh, and they still mm. have humans that know baseball very well making the decisions, but they're making it with the best data possible. And I think that's what we want to we want to look at. We want to think about how technology can optimize uh, 
coaching, managing, and playing baseball, but it's not a replacement for playing, managing, playing and managing baseball. It is a tool that helps people who are good at playing and managing. And to that end, Brandon Hyde should, if Brandon Hyde is not manager of the year, and if Gunnar Henderson is not rookie of the year, I will be shocked. I think both of those two folks (laughs) have run away with those things. And, um, I think that I think that the baseball writers who were down on the Orioles all year are still going to, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens with this series. But I think they're going to come through and vote for those Orioles uh, to be to win those 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 awards, you know. And I think they deserve. I, I think it would be hard to say yeah. that anybody other than Gunner deserves rookie of the year in the AL. And I think it would be hard to say that anybody deserves uh, manager of the year other than Brandon Hyde. The only thing I can think is that the writers might be scared of what happens if the Orioles get that other pick um, when, when Gunner becomes rookie of the year and they're like, Oh my God, another person going through that amazing farm system. Um, like this yeah. will be an unstoppable yeah. juggernaut. But I, I think we're going to, I think we're going to win this series. I think we're going to have a rookie of the year. I think we're going to have a manager of the year. And I think um, the magic is going to continue. You know, that's the spirit. And, you know, Andy, not to assume that I know uh, anything about analytics, especially since you work in analytics. But um, I feel like, you know, an illustration of the point you just made is there is no statistical modeling system that I am aware of that can account for the value of Adley Rutschman jogging up the first baseline to fist bump the pitcher every time an inning ends regardless of the circumstances of how that inning ends, whether, you know, he just gave up a grand slam and has been removed from the game or if it was a lockdown inning. Like, Adley always does that, and that is just one of the many little things that he does and one of the the more visible things that I'm sure other players are also doing that are what is bolstering the awareness that comes from the analytics. And and, and the flip side or whatever of the analytics is something I sometimes in thinking about sports that even the established stars are young men talk yeah or women it was so even young and so that uh i mean even what how, how old is john means is he late 20s or something <laughs> maybe like 30 yeah <laughs> elder statesman veteran john so there, in terms of like when you're talking about when batista went down oh my god what's going to happen it, it's still a collection of of human beings and young ones who presumably at least are not just playing for the money, although I'll take the money, um, but for, for the the love of the game and stuff, and the, the the psychology of being together and it's rolling, and somehow they have to remember that they're they're young men, and uh, it's not all all a science, and maybe that's where like Brandon Hyde comes in as mm-hmm. keeping that going, and where you're absolutely, and I'm not nearly as deep a fan as Andy is, but I know. Things change when 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 Adley joined the team. Yeah, I mean, if, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's just just amazing. Something yeah. something that is now being borne out in the metrics changed immediately. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I want to I want to do a quick beginnings of a pivot because I uh, I do not think that in my entire certainly not in my career of 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 thinking about Orioles and talking about it on a podcast, but maybe in my entire career of being an Orioles fan. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with three other Orioles fans that was this um, um, rationally and irrationally positive. (laughs) Uh, And I wonder, um, and I'll start with you, uh, Bill, but like, I wonder, like, does 
your positive feeling to this particular Orioles team and this particular Orioles season and your ability to enjoy this ride, is it actively colored by ownership? Do you feel like what you know about the Angelos family and that sort of thing is actively messing up your joy of this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it is. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've got the flag out and I'll be listening to some and stuff, but I'm not that deeply into it. Partly because my wife thinks I'm much of a, I am much of a fan because compared to her I am, but uh, it's not that much. But it's and it's partly the Angelos family, but it's partly just the whole system of rich guys getting richer and richer owning teams. And I've been involved with this ever since the effort of to spend a few hundred million to build the stadiums thirty mm-hmm. years ago. So I'm always aware of how much and how much is he's increasing values of the team based on being able to exploit the public in various cities and the competition. So absolutely I am I Yeah, it colors it. the enjoyment of sports is colored by how much the the of the not doing the things that we need to do to help the city, to help the state. The Sun had an article about all the other things that money could be spent on. I could talk about other things we could spend it on, or um, for six hundred million is about one third of the presumed value of the team. If we bought the team, and I guess we'll get into the two different options that if we took the team under our legal power, which we have in the city charter to acquire the franchise, and there's two options that that could lead to, either one would probably start diminishing the value of the teams because it wouldn't be rich folks based on exploiting the the people. Yeah. So let's let's dive into that. Why uh Andy, why how would this work? What's the legal precedence for uh this in the city of Baltimore and do you know if this is unique to Baltimore? So wait, can I answer the 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 other question first? Yeah. The color yeah, question. So, sure. Look, sure. Sure, sure, um, sure. I I'm a green and 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 that means that <laughs> we operate in a system uh in which we understand that the present is bad, but the power of the people to make the future better is really good. And so this year, as I've watched this fan base come together to support this team, but not just this year, over the last 10, 20 years, um, as they've gone through the hard times, I fundamentally believe that this fan base would be a better set of owners for this team than the than the billionaire who inherited it from his father. Uh, and so hmm. um, I, I am, I dislike having the Angelos family in charge of this team, but I'm inspired by the power of this fan base, which I've seen come together to do some amazing things, have the opportunity to own this team. And so, um, yes, I'm mad about the present, uh, but I'm inspired by the future that I think is possible. Um, so, you know, a, a little, maybe a slightly different take on it than Bill has, but like, I don't, I don't let mm. my, I, I'm, I'm not worried Yes, is the bottom line answer. Um, but the, the, but <laughs> I think the I think we now have an opportunity to build this movement for fan ownership uh, that that is going to be great. And I actually think, and we'll get into the lease in a bit. But I actually think if there is a lease, we're taken away from a moment of crisis in which the four of us think this is a good idea, uh, and we have some years in order to build a movement for this, in order to build something that actually works best for the fans, for the team, and for the people of Baltimore. So that being said, let's talk about 
about the legality of it. The Baltimore City Charter uh, has a provision in it that allows the team or the city to seize the team, pay market value for it, and then either operate it or resell it with conditions. And um, hmm. who knows what the legal ground of this is? In 1980, uh, I think when the in the 1980s when Oakland was leaving or when the Raiders were leaving Oakland, there was a lawsuit about eminent domain that was tried to be used there, and the court ultimately determined that the owners had the ability to sort of make the decision about that. Um, but at the same time, the Baltimore City Charter passed uh, has a provision in it as of 1984 that allows the city to do it. And I think, like most legal theories, they need to be tested in court. Uh, and so we need an attorney general in the state of Maryland that is willing to back up local law and taking on corporations like Major League Baseball. Um, and, you know, I think that, uh, you know, when I saw the news that said that the attorney general and the previous attorney general, I believe, was considering uh, suing Major League Baseball about their antitrust exemption over the Masson deal. I was like, well, fine, then let's sue them to protect local law. <laughs> then let's go, let's all, the go way. all the way. And, and, and sue them to protect local law. You know, there's plenty of people who will say it's an untested legal theory uh, and that, uh, you know, they have questions about it and things like that. My position on that is like, yeah, sure, it's an untested legal theory and we should test it and we should have politicians and leaders who are willing to test it in defense of the people of Baltimore in defense of local law and stand up to the corporation, the Major League Baseball Corporation, and, and try it. So, you know, I don't listen. We we live in the era of untested right, legal theories, right? Like, right? <laughs> right like. But this theory has basis to it, yeah. um, and I wouldn't call it local law. It is the sovereign state of Maryland that gave this power to Baltimore City. It was all it was, as I it was back there, and I go back to Colts time and stuff, um, and huh. it was there. And by the time. This is the governor, the legislature, in a week or so, passed the legislation and the governor signed it and then tried to implement. The vans were on the road and the team wasn't here no more. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why we talk like this has to happen before they could hit the road. Um, so I, you know, I, I was just a little old city lawyer and I've retired, so I don't begin to know what would happen in court. But it, the sovereignty for the billionaire owners to say to the sovereign state of Maryland, you can't use eminent domain powers in this fashion. I think that's chutzpah. Um, well, also, and, and, if, if I may, Bill, I think, I think you're, you're hitting on something that I think we should, we should all check in about for a second here, which is the idea that we ought to do something like this before it's too late, because let's be clear. The, idea that John Angelos would like us to believe is that he like a white knight on a, as our, and a savior rode in on Clinchmas and delivered the lease we have been waiting for but let's be crystal clear that is not true that's not what happened <laughs> that that was a that was a bald-faced lie that we were told in a moment of emotional weakness to distract <laughs> from what's actually going on so so let's 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 lay out for people what 
what is actually happening with the lease. Pure PR move, right? Pure PR move in order to in order to um, make us, as you say, on a night that they thought we were going to clinch. He and the governor jointly announced something that worked wonderfully for both of them uh, and has not borne out to actually be a lease. Has not borne out to actually be. Um, and it's a non-binding memorandum of understanding, and everybody can assure us that a non-binding memorandum of understanding is just like a lease. <laughs> but um, I know what words mean, and like, <laughs> I have a lease on my apartment, and that's pretty binding. <laughs> right. That night when I came up, we the, the night they won the the title. We we'd been it was our second night of leafleting. And I and Andy went on to the game, and I came home. I lived just a couple of blocks away, and I came home, and I hear about the lease, and oh damn, I, I got 150 pieces of paper left. I guess I they get recycled or whatever. The next morning, oh, it's just some non-binding thoughts or whatever. So I went to the Pigtown Festival on the weekend and gave out most of the rest of the paper. <laughs> kept going and glad to be doing this. Um, I think we, that's we, a really interesting point, though. Is like. There is some, I mean, you said, Andy, like the, that the the most important thing, I think, for uh, the most important thing would be the Orioles staying in Baltimore. But there is this sort of like sword of Damocles hanging above the fan base, which is this like clear and present threat that maybe Angelos is just crazy enough to move the team yep. to Nashville, say, that in its own way is a useful organizing tool <laughs> like that fear mm, is mm. uh and like you know you the, so you, you the the leaflets were still good on on friday because that was a bunch of bunch of nothing bunch of nothing so like i, I wonder like how do you guys think about that as like um uh it's kind of beginning to shift the overton window in a moment when people are thinking about like crisis well and if if in fact what this is is the chance for the beginning of a movement, then I'll be happy to continue to be work with Andy and try to build a movement. But that it is interesting. I, looking at you all, I assume you're all similar ages that you can think that even the senior ball players are young men, but but you think that but you you're not in my category. Let let's talk about the thirty years, and we don't know whether the agreement is thirty years plus two five-year agreements, you know, at Orioles' discretion, which means it's a 20-year, you know, or whether it's only 20 years plus two five. In any case, all, one, two, and probably all, possibly all three of you will still be around 30 years from now, and you'll be able to do what I'm doing now. Oh, I remember last time. And da, 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 da. <laughs> um, I won't, you know, I, I, if it's 30 years from now, I won't be here. Um, but just think, so... All this effort and everything for in, for in just a couple of decades least, when the possibility is per you use the six hundred dollars as seed money, six hundred million dollars as seed money to make it permanent, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, and and then we don't know fully exactly how it would work out, but it's it's all they're offering is thirty years. And the governor may still be involved in politics 30 years from now. You all may still be commenting 30 years from now. Um, uh, you know, I, what, what could I say? That the, the perspective, what's being offered ain't that long. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I would say the, 
the effort to what you all envisioned at the beginning of this podcast is what the Padres envisioned when Ray Kroc died and, and Joan Kroc took over the team. And when they went to Major League mm-hmm. Baseball with that idea, uh, Major League Baseball strongly urged them against it. Uh, and then Major League Baseball passed rules against it later. Right. And so uh, it, this is not a new idea uh, this time around. Nope. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of minor league teams uh, that have engaged in some form of fan ownership. Uh, we all we can all look at an example of the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, it's it's it may not be the perfect model, but it is a model that we can look at in a major American sports. And I think that the least I think that most fans accept the $600 million payout because they think that the other choice is that the team leaves to Nashville. And like, it's owners are playing this game with what I call Nashville chicken, uh, in which they Uh get, uh, (laughs) they get to threaten the move to Nashville in order to get their government to give them taxpayer money, tax breaks and things like that. There's a really good article in the athletic from a few weeks ago about how this game is going and how it is moving into a new phase in which owners are trying to use this in order to become real estate developers so that they can, uh, so that they can diversify their income stream and increase values even more. Now, I don't 100 percent agree with disagree with John Angelos when he talks about the economics of Major League Baseball are messed up and are broken in a lot of ways, and that small market owners are almost forced to build real estate development empires in order to compete on payroll level and things like that. But I think the reason that people accept the 600 million dollar payout to the billionaire is because they think that the options are pay the billionaire 600 million dollars or my team leaves, uh, and I think. What yeah. this intervention that Bill and I have been engaging in and that you all started a decade ago and that has existed for a long time says to people, there is a third option here. And we should consider that option as well, because that option may actually be make more economic sense. It may be better for baseball and it may be better for fans. Look, I, I don't love eminent domain as the only vehicle of doing this. Right, like that is a harsh move that comes at the point in which the billionaire has you over a barrel. Um, but I'd like right. to see a place where we start to figure out a set of tools that allow this to happen, uh, including eminent domain, but not just eminent domain. I mean, I think in the ideal world, I'd love it if John Angelos becomes a partner in this at the end of the day. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but I'd much rather the case against Major League Baseball be the state of Maryland, the city of Baltimore, and John Angelos against Major League Baseball than this than the city of Baltimore and the state of Maryland against John Angelos and Major League Baseball. And 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 so I think that if there's a lease and we accept that the current status quo is that you got to give the billionaire a bunch of taxpayer money in order for them to stay to stay there, fine. We've kept the team here and we've bought ourselves a window of time where we can organize uh, and hopefully Bill will still be with us for a bunch of that window of time uh, and we can organize <laughs> in order to let folks know that this is an option and it is a better option and it is the way to get out of this game because otherwise there's no way out of it. There's no way out of it. The billionaires yeah. are going to look at this deal and they're going to now Milwaukee 
is going to tell, uh, you know, the owners in Milwaukee are going to say, hey, great, let's play this Nashville chicken game uh, and talk to their mayor and their governor and say, give us $600 million, right? And that price is going to go up and up and up because that's the way the game works. And the only way out of that doom loop is if we start considering public ownership and if we start considering alternative models by which cities and states can, can, can fight back. It doesn't just have to be public ownership. I know Bill Bill has a suggestion that is different, but we have to have a third option. We have to have something other than team leaves or we pay them gobs of taxpayer money. <laughs> Exorbitant <laughs> ransom me, fees. Let me uh, mention two things. It's not only a question of holding ransom, if you will, or whatever, or give us more and more and more to the, to, to the billionaire class who owns them. I think I was the only one to, uh, to, to by Zoom appear in Annapolis to testify against the $1.2 billion, the two $600 million offerings. Hmm. And at that event, the Prince George's County Executive was there, and she spoke in favor of doing it, was worse to the effect of, get this done so we can then come back to you and ask for our $600 million mm-hmm. for offering a new stadium for the Washington foot team, football commanders, Redskins, uh, what you know, whatever. Uh, so it's it's even, yeah. Plays into localities competing with each other to build the things, whatever. Rather than is that is that what Prince George's County needs to do with six hundred million dollars? Or hey, state, keep the spigot going, come to us. So that's yeah. one thing. The other thing, the commercial stuff. Um, it may be there should be something better than parking lots there and stuff. But as somebody who lives three blocks west of it and across Martin Luther King Boulevard, where, where I almost got killed actually coming home uh, with a flyer on Thursday for somebody, pe- people having their eyes closed driving at the intersection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, probably not technically closed, but anyway. Um, he, he, I don't, I might have trouble with government if we're going to develop. It, it, I have concerns what effect that will have on, on, on us and whether it will help or hurt us not far away. But I'd rather at least trust, have government input and whatever on it than John Angelos, you're the middleman and you control what's going to happen. And, and, and after the fact, you have a, a yeah. hearing with communities. So can I that's just say, another thing. Can I just say, not, I think, you know, I think you should have the, both the middleman, the, should there be middleman profits on the commercial development and who's going to most likely try to do something that doesn't hurt and maybe even helps nearby neighborhoods? Yes. I, I think the point that you're both making is so vital for folks to understand as we consider the proposal that you have for how to get out of this situation, which is that the what is truly sinister about all of this is the ability of Angelos to convince us that the best possible outcome is a signing of a lease where he unlocks access to $600 million of taxpayer funds. And that the idea is like, you know, that is the option that is ultimately of service to fans. When the reality is that option also ultimately is of service to capital. That option ultimately is of service to executive power and consolidation of wealth. It's just, it's a, it's a slightly less bad version (laughs) than that same owner of wealth exploiting 
his control to move the team to Nashville. And so what you're describing is like is the actual solve to the baseline problem. It's just that people like John Angelos are so successful at making us believe that they have the power to give us the bad answer and also the slightly less bad answer that we take the less bad answer to be a good answer. And and let's remember, we've been saying several times now, 600 million. We're really talking 600 million plus to to the the extent that there will be an argument if they end up doing a lease and all he gets mm-hmm. is six hundred mm-hmm. million. Wow, that's that's a victory because there's the the, the the no rent, which adds up to another hundred million. Although I think there's arguments whether the no rent versus the payback, how that works out. Yeah, but then throw in how many hundreds of million for having the rights to the unless John Angelos himself is developing the parking lots. If he's just the middleman where he gets a cut for any development happens, a cut that wouldn't have to happen if there was public development of those lots. We're, we're, not, we're talking $600 million plus, so in something I just wrote, I figured we're talking a billion. And, th- and then don't forget, of course, as I understand it, if we give the Orioles more than $600 million, the Ravens get to say, uh-uh, mm-hmm. you got to match it for <laughs> us too. So let's remember, it's, it's, yeah. he, 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 I'm not saying $600 million would be a victory. I think that I think that that's a really interesting thing too when you consider the I mean over the course of a decade when Sam and I sat down to try to figure out how much we would need to buy the Orioles we were coming in at about 350 to 400 million uh and over the course of a decade like lots of prices have gone up but the biggest price that has gone up across the board is american sports franchises so there's like kind of an argument i mean i hear you andy about we have 30 years now or 20 years now to build towards but uh if these trends continue the 1.7 billion dollars that the orioles are currently worth on a market value um have, you know, Baltimoreans, you can't see my air quotes there, but the, the, the value of the franchise seems to be something that is also spiraling up. Um, and that, so there, it seems like there needs to be an intervention moment there fairly soon, especially because they have such a control over the number of franchises. We don't have promotion and relegation in this country. It's kind of a shame, but the, so the individual franchises are only so, I mean, are allowed to be so valuable because they're such a limited resource. Um, yeah. I worry about <laughs> that, you know, the Marlins are worth a billion dollars for God's sakes. <laughs> like, uh, that's, uh, the, the, no, there's no baseball franchise that's not worth a bunch of money. I see Andy yeah, and then and, Bill. And so look, like, I don't think we have 30 years to start. I think we, I think we yeah. have to start already we have to we have to build on the momentum that, that yesterday you all have we have to build on the <laughs> moment that bill and i got some attention for this uh and we have to be ready by the time that the next negotiation comes the next hostage negotiation comes in order to be able to uh have a solution that is something different than what has been before i think in the current political reality people settle for the fact that the best option is giving the man $600 million. And I think we have to change that reality. Um, And I think that that means that we have to start having these conversations about, to me, public ownership is the option. And and when I go to Orioles games this year, I've been talking about it at games all year this year. And I've had conversations with people about public ownership of the Orioles who would never be interested in public ownership of anything else. But because of the way... (laughs) Not avowed socialists. Right, right. 
these are folks that are these are folks that are booing the Democrats that are throwing out the first pitch, and I don't imagine it's because they're Greens and socialists, right? I imagine it's because that's a Democrat and they're a Republican that lives in their jurisdiction, but they're willing to have conversations in this space about public ownership because the subsidization of the billionaires in order to do this, and it's not like we get a great product out of it. I can't watch the games on TV. Um, you know, we, we, we get great on the field products, but $16 beers, games we can't watch on TV. TV, uh, and you know a lot of other things and an owner who wants to be the star player or who wants to be the center of attention are not things that are good return of investment uh, on this type of money and so I think we need to start having the conversations to change and show that there are possibilities outside of the way that we do it right now because when you talk to most fans Bill and I have been out in front of the stadium a bunch talking to fans and first of all I love that it's it's the most fun political organizing I've done in a long time. Um, the first time we went out, Bill asked me how I felt about it. And I'm like, look, I normally work for a party that about 1% to 5% of people like. So uh, talking to Orioles fans about why we should keep the Orioles in Baltimore was was great. It was rewarding. Yeah. 99% <laughs> approval yeah, rating right, right off right. the bat. <laughs> Everybody yeah, loves yeah. that. But we have to show that it is a tangible and realistic possibility. And I think that that's why we've been pointing to what the charter of Baltimore City says and demanding that we have political leaders that will back up that charter that is our local law and our state law and, and help us to fight this fight and think of new options. Because otherwise, this is the way we go. We The prices go higher and higher. And in 30 years, it's going to be three, it's going to be $6 billion that we have to give to John Angelos's child in order to make sure that <laughs> John Angelos's <laughs> child keeps the team here. And that is unsustainable. And it is unsustainable not just for Baltimore. It's unsustainable for cities all around the country. What is happening in Oakland right yeah. now is a travesty. And what is happening uh, with the threat, the threat is being used in Chicago. The threat is being used in Kansas City. The threat is being used in Milwaukee. And it is the same game over and over and over. Uh, and it is hint at we'll leave and then say, no, no, we're not thinking about leaving, but uh, all options are on the table. But back up the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I, I know Bill wants well, to jump in, two, so I'll two things, but I'm forgetting what one is. Speaking as a political organizer, um, I'm a proud liberal Democrat, by the way, and we can, and I've enjoyed working with, with, I, I, I not past it, I am enjoying working with Andy. Um, <laughs> this, and this he, is the breakup <laughs> on this podcast. Just <laughs> People of all uh, stri stripes, as a political organizer, hey, folks, if you're in, if you're in Balmer City, Call the, the city, call or email the citywide offices, mayor, president, council, controller, and your council person and say, use the power of Article 2B in the city charter. And if you're elsewhere in Merlin, contact your official saying you want them to help Baltimore do this. Contact the governor, say you should do this. This is a time for citizen action. Number one, um, number two, uh, I'm not saying, I don't think we've really talked about what the two options are. I'm getting late. Mm. And I don't say which, I would love for us to take the team and then we can study and discuss and try to figure out what does it mean for actual public operation? What will somebody offer if we've, if we've had to pay 1.8 million for the team and if we finance one third of that with the six hundred million that's presumably available, will somebody offer us something near one point two million for the right 
to drink from the hose after a celebration because he's a 60-year-old guy, but he's in the clubhouse or whatever <laughs> else it means. And to get to have dinner with Mike Elias and discuss that, is that worth $1.2 billion to somebody? So we've covered our money or is it much less? We, need, we, we have no idea of knowing what the acquire and, um, and then resell, clearly reselling without the right to move. And he's had some good ideas about um, making sure you know you don't fight against unionization. Uh, so let me let me um, let me see if I can capstone that because I think uh, we actually yeah I didn't we didn't we didn't go into the two options. So yeah. step one in both options is uh, the state of Maryland triggers this uh, and and you win in court such that the state of Maryland is able to purchase the team by force Baltimore from the City Angeles Charter is. Article Two B. And then um, one option is then the city holds it in public trust in some way, fan ownership, what have you. The other option would be sell it to another billionaire, but um, and put a series of structures, or or I guess at this point in life, like most of these are ownership groups, and you have some crazy like venture capitalist fund fund putting up a lot of the money themselves, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the but that that sale um, comes with it some legal structures that tie the team um, permanently to the city and maybe Andy, I'll throw to you now other stuff. <laughs> sure. Like I think, I think that, I think that if we are going down the path of reselling with conditions as the charter allows, then there's a lot of conditions that we could allow. We could require that all stadium mm-hmm. employees be unionized. Uh, for example, we could require revenue sharing at a certain level with the school, with school construction, which is also run by the Maryland mm-hmm. stadium authority. We could require a better TV deal so that we can actually watch some games. Um, and we don't have to just <laughs> listen on an app that is delayed by, like a minute, you know, um, and I have my own problems yeah. with the app and we'll talk, we, we can talk about that in a whole nother episode, but <laughs> like, it, I, I don't, you know, it, conditions, uh, conditions seen conditions as necessary to run the team can mean a lot of different things. And uh, I think, you know, um, I, I, it is ironic that the same organization that builds new schools in the state of Maryland is also the organization that runs the stadiums. And, uh, you know, $600 million for new schools would have been great, too. And I'm not saying that the $600 million shouldn't have been advocated, but there should be some ability to say, if the team is wildly successful and you are making money off of our investment in it, uh, then maybe revenue sharing is something. And I, and I think to Bill's point about this is I don't think we should predetermine any of this stuff. I think an open and transparent mm-hmm. democratic process in which people work with their elected leaders in order to determine what these conditions are is a better way of going about this than a deal in which the governor and the the governor and the owner are high-fiving each other about a memorandum of understanding that nobody had any input on uh, and that it was done entirely in secret. Look, there's conditions in any lease, yeah. right? Uh, any lease that you sign has conditions about it. And what I think Bill and I are suggesting is that those conditions have some popular democratic input into them. Um, mm-hmm. And which people get to decide how it is the public resources are spent, and if we are making this investment, what it is that we expect uh, w- expect to get out of it. it. It has to be good for the people of Baltimore, and it has to be good for the city of Baltimore beyond simply having the team stay here. And otherwise, there's no leverage. Otherwise, the cities and the states just lack any leverage in these deals. And as the price goes up and up, the cities and the states are going to be paying higher and higher price because. 
Nobody wants to see the Orioles leave. No politician is going to let the yeah. Orioles get out of town, right? Like, that's a terrible yeah. way to run for re-election, um, you know? And, <laughs> and so I think, that, I think that we're in this trap where the cities and states have no leverage, and baseball and the other sports know it. They know that there's no leverage there. They know that they can threaten to leave and get higher and higher amounts of money, and I think that in either world, what we're calling for is people to have some input in this and to be able to demand things that are good for folks beyond just the billionaire. Let, um, let's talk for a moment. Talk two things again. One, but how they manipulate us. Thursday, I mean, you know, because it's our, our, Thursday is we're leafleting. We're right by the light rail stop. And um, light rail was Raven's coverings on it come <laughs> by and the message on that light rail was our city our team but yet your whole mm. again this was the ravens not the orioles but still the connects it's still a manipulated it's, it's yours but you know you got to pay but you have no control yeah so the and and how much of the, the news every night is how much about the teams and stuff so all the manipulation the other thing would be remiss as an organizer if I didn't mention our website, ah, uh, well save, done. <laughs> and we, Andy did a wonderful job of pulling together the website. And I'm, I could not. I like to say I live on the technological edge. It's the trailing edge, but, it, <laughs> <laughs> but website save Baltimore's Orioles, an S on the end. No, can't put an apostrophe. Save Baltimore's Orioles dot the com or that web. Com. But, Save Baltimore's Orioles.com. Go there. You more to read about the stuff. There is a way to contact us. Um, and uh, I, I think the words of the uh, charter are there. Some of the newspaper articles, Andy's article about uh, public uh, pu- public ownership possibilities. So save Baltimore's Orioles.com. Well, I think that this note that you're you're coming to here at the end, Bill, is so important because if, if I may, you know, I, I'm trying to think as we've been talking about <clears throat> what is it that we're actually talking about here? Um, because we're not, in, a, in the truest Baltimorean sense, we're not talking about baseball. We're not... <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're not really talking even about... Um, government procedural politics what we're talking about is liberation from a way of thinking that as as you have put it several times Andy and I think it's so important for people to remember this word like we have wandered into a trap that was elegantly set and necessitates big action to escape from if we don't want to be stuck in, again, to borrow one of your phrases, a doom loop of short-term fixes to a long-term problem that the longer we put off our escape from becomes harder and harder to to uh, to avoid being utterly consumed by. And the things that lie at the end of this road 
are worse than the short-term discomfort of, but if we do this, will we still get to have Gunnar Henderson? You know, which I think is probably a thought that's running in some people's minds as they listen to this. Is like, let's not mess up. Okay, Alan raises his hand. Let's not, you know, yes, Angelos is bad, and yes, ownership structures are corrupt and poisonous, but the team's so good right now. Do we really have to do this right now? Yes, we have to do this now, because yeah, it's I when think, the most of us are paying attention. I think I think when Lenin was referencing the dustbin of history, I think he was probably talking about either like sports ownership models or the shift, <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> yeah, and and you know to answer the Gunnar Henderson question, John Angelos has already told us uh, that we might not. Yeah, keep we're not going to get to keep him anyway. So, <laughs> and, and if we do, prices are going to have to go up. So, look, I it. John Angelos is not wrong about the economics of baseball. Like, we give him shit about a lot of... I'm sorry, I'm not sure if that's okay on your podcast. No, we're, we're, okay. we're fine. We're fine. Okay. We, do, we okay. do many, many bad but words here. We, we, we talk about how wrong he is to say this stuff, and it was wrong for him to say it when he said it to whom he said it. He took an off day and had an, and had an article in the New York Times to opine about the economics of baseball. Save that for the offseason. Save that for the people's, you know, people's world conference or something like that. But, like, he's not wrong about that. And the team is going to be pressured by the structure of Major League Baseball to shed some of the guys that we love right now. And, and I think that that's inevitable. So, I think that we have to think, even as baseball fans, not just as as people who are fighting for liberation, that the future that is coming for us is worse than than the than the short term problems, right? Like, and it's like we're going to keep losing these guys that we develop if something doesn't change. And you know, so that that's the baseball part of it. I also agree with you entirely that this is an opportunity to start having a conversation um, that is a metaphor for a lot of things that we're facing uh, in, in, a, in a larger space. We need to think about how we get out of the doom loops that are, are part of our, you know, part of our democracy, part of our climate crisis, part of our financial crisis, and we have to have new ways outside of it's either this bad option or that bad option uh, that allow us to put power into the hands of people in order to make these things better. So I appreciate your, your um, hearkening to a larger, a larger picture here. And for me, this is always about that. Um, you know, I think I mentioned I'm a green and part of part of my campaign issues right now that I'm focused on are democracy, climate and baseball. And people laugh when I say baseball is part of that. But I actually think it's a really good example of what the problems we're facing in the rest of the world and in the rest of the in the rest of Baltimore and the rest of American society are right now. And I think it's an opportunity to talk about those things. And so last word, segue, Bill, OK, somewhat saying segueing on that. Um, this bit that Angela says, oh, we're a small market team. You've got to let us commercially develop so we compete with the big teams. Why do we not think the big teams would do the same thing and just, you know, bigger. continue their whatever? Why any strategy we could use, why would they not use? So it's, it's a further exploitation excuse, but it doesn't accept maybe very briefly um, to give any equalization. The other thing is... Um, I have 12.15 yesterday, I turned on WYPR, and they're talking about this issue. So I call in and whatever, and I say some stuff. I get to make my statement. And one of the two people they had on was a, one of the, a local reporter. And she was pissed that Angelos 
had talked it, it, what it said about Angelos and when he decided to talk to the press, he talked to the New York Times, not local. So there's mm-hmm. some dislike there too. Um, but this is last word. Um, I've, I, this has been miserable. I've hated doing this. You can tell. I, <laughs> thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, it's the last word and I've enjoyed and uh, I'll send you something afterwards. Yeah, so this is um, this has been Bill Marker and Andy Ellis. The website you should all go to savebaltimoresorioles.com. Uh, and I think we are um, almost entirely out of time. But Sam, I have one final pressing question for you. If okay. You one more second. So Yeah, certainly. Um, what would you call um, former Orioles prospect uh, Henry Urudia? Mm. Um, if he were for a moment moonlighting as the senior senator um, from South Dakota, <laughs> oh no, my my uh, my lack of attention to South Dakota is showing. Uh, I I don't know what would I call him. You may call him Henry John Thunrudia. <laughs> Thunrudia. <laughs> oh. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, uh John neither John Thune or Henry Urudia is going to save us. So let's <laughs> let's save ourselves. Our city, our team. Baltimoreans. <laughs> <laughs>